Well, good evening, church. Hey, that was great. Who, who said hi to me there? <laughs> that, was, that wasn't that voice. It wasn't. I was sure of it. Well, I'm going to try that one more time so the rest of you can get an opportunity to join with that. Good evening, church. And good morning to all of you online. It's great to be able to say that, isn't it, right? Because it gets shown tomorrow, so uh, yeah. Uh, I was here last, uh, a few years ago actually, in 2019, and had the opportunity to be with you, and so thanks for having me back again. This is great, and to be with you, Pastor John. And when I was here last time, uh, we were talking about uh, really... Uh, this problem in the world. And so you may not remember me, but maybe you remember we talked about Coca-Cola, the second most valuable company in the world that sells sugary caffeinated liquid. And everyone in the world knows what it is, but not everyone in the world has had the opportunity to be able to hear about the real thing, which is Jesus. And, uh, and we talked about how that was a bit of a problem. So uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of jump off of some of that today. And I'm looking forward to being able to share with you some of the things that are taking place around the world and to give you a challenge that I believe that God will stir something in your heart today. So I want to ask you a question and you can just feel free to answer it right out loud as I ask, okay? And I know that right down here we're going to get an answer, but the rest of you can join in too, okay? So uh, when I say this word, what first comes into your mind? Harvest. The moon. <laughs> Wow, that was that was new. Yeah, the moon, harvest moon. Okay, that I get it. Yeah. What 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 else do we get? Food, corn. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I think of. I think of something that you would all be very familiar with here in Saskatchewan. And by the way, thanks for the lovely weather. It's great to join you on this. And, and you're the committed who have come here tonight. Like amazing. I left Ontario this morning. It was 21 degrees. So, uh, you know, I shouldn't rub that in. But uh, yeah. So this is what I think of when I think of harvest. It's a picture of a combine. This massive machine that is built for right here, the prairies of Canada, so that it can just, it, I mean, the, the hum, the sound from it, and, and along it goes on these fields. I, I saw one just a couple of weeks ago uh, where I live, and, and just, you know, taking in this incredibly massive harvest. I mean, it's so big, they've got to bring in trucks, and the trucks line up, and they begin to fill them all with whatever it is that they're harvesting, and I don't, I don't know all the details, and they take it away. I mean, it's an incredible thing, and it's a great example of what God has been doing in the world that we live in, particularly right now. As a matter of fact, the last hundred years is the modern missions movement, and more has taken place in this past hundred years than in all the time before. We within the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada have very often been focused upon Africa. Africa has been one of the places that we've sent a lot of missionaries over the last 103 years for us. And uh, did you know that it is the first continent that will be majority Christian? Okay, like 103 years ago when we were getting started, like it was like going to deepest, darkest Africa and people were going there, malaria, and, 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 and yet now here we are and we're saying this is the, the, the same place where we once were sending because we wanted to be able to see the gospel penetrate. Now we're saying is going to be the first continent with more than 50% Christian. 
You see, there are more believers in the countries that were once mission fields than in the countries from which the missionaries were originally sent. God has been doing an incredible, it's been like this combine that has just been going along and has been actually taking in an incredible harvest for God's glory. And that is worth celebrating. Amen? That is worth celebrating. And so for us, this slide actually gives you a bit of a snapshot. Currently, we have about 300 global workers. Over our 103-year history, we've actually had about 3,000 full-time global workers who have gone into 80-plus countries. Currently, we're involved in about 75 Since our inception, we've seen 52,000 churches planted, nearly 40,000 pastors released into the harvest field, and probably an estimated 12 million individuals who have experienced salvation in Christ. Isn't that incredible? The Pentecostal movement worldwide is actually fastest growing of any religion. And so I know that that's not, we don't classify it as a religion, but in terms of that, it's the fastest growing. And, and we also, within the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, over the last 15 years have seen year over year increased numbers of people going and increased resources going into the field. You see, Jesus is undoubtedly building his church, and yet... There's still more to be done. The heart of the good shepherd says we need to leave the 99 and we need to go and we need to find the one. Now back to that picture of that combine. You know, our success can be our demise. I know those are dangerous words to say. But we could become so enamored with the way in which we did things and the model that we used that we could, you know, say over the last 100 years, so much good has taken place. Look at what has taken place, particularly in the continent of Africa. Let's, let's, Let's take this to the places that remain. And there are places that remain. We're going to take a look at that a little bit tonight, but, but what are we going to do? Well, we become so enamored with our combine that we decide in order to be able to go and bring in the harvest in this new place, we're going to have to take our combine with us. We're going to have to do it in the same way. We're going to have to do tent meetings, and we're going to bring in crusades, and people are going to get saved that way. And so, so we decide that we're going to take this combine, we disassemble it, we stick it into a 40-foot container. You know what I'm talking about? We stick it on a ship, we send it over, and then it arrives in the new place that we are going to see a harvest and we we have to take it out. We assemble every nut and bolt and get it all ready. There it is. We are set to go and we look up at the fields and they are not flat prairie fields of grain. They are actually terraced rice fields. What do you do with a combine when that is your harvest field. You see, what's got us here is not going to get us there. And we have to be willing to adapt and change. And we say, what is the, the, the harvest that remains? And it's going to take some new ways to be able to see the impact that we believe that God is going to bring. And so as we take a look at these terraced rice fields, there's a map that actually gives us a great example of what that looks like. And it's actually broken into the three different religious people groups, peoples. And so we've got, uh, if we can go to the map there. Thanks, Wyatt. The green is for Islam. 
The yellow is for Hinduism, and the orange is for Buddhism or Confucianism. And so each of these dots actually represent people groups where the gospel has not yet, and the church is not strong enough yet to be able to bear witness to the people that live there. And so we need to be able to see a harvest take place here. And as we, as I came, you know, back in 2019 spring and, and shared, I think I, I showed an image of what does the church look like in 3,000 of the people groups and, and pulled back the cloth and it's just a blank canvas. It's not, doesn't even exist. There's no church, there's no missionary. And, and so we need to begin to see it happen. And, and so what is it going to take to be able to see a harvest in these challenging contexts. Many of them are places where there's restrictions on the gospel. There's inability to access the people, not geographically, but probably more political or because of religion, they're going to say, no, you're not allowed to come into this place. That's what we're facing. Well, we're going to have to learn to, to do it slightly differently. And the image of two oxen who are plowing through mud fields is a great example of the adaptation that we need to be going through to be able to see the harvest in the places that there still needs to be a harvest in in these days. It's going to take creative strategies. Requires us being local and organic, contextual, seeing sustainable movements of disciples who make disciples. You see... Pioneering mission still exists in many places of the planet. And we know that God has been at work and he is going to continue to be at work. But we've got to begin to do some things in different ways in order to be able to see what God wants to bring about in these last days. Moses grew up in the Pharaoh's household. And yet, while he was there, he had this desire to see his people, the Israelites, because he knew that he was one of them. He wanted to see them freed from their oppressors, the ones that he was living in their house. So, as he became older and he actually went out and just tried to do something on his own, that was the point at which he ended up becoming a murderer, a fugitive, and he spent 40 years wandering around with one of these looking after, see, I can always count on you. Thanks, man. That's good. Sheep. That's right. Looking after sheep. Now, he has been looking after sheep so long, he's starting to wonder if he's seen things because there off in the distance is this burning bush. Now, for those of you who don't know, a burning bush is nothing really extraordinary. It actually happens in the deserts on occasion. You know, it's rather hot there, unlike here. And, um, and so sometimes bushes burn. That's, that's not the bizarre thing. The fact was that, you know, time goes by, he's watching his sheep, and, and that bush hasn't burned up. It's like still going. And I wonder how many hours it took. And finally, he goes over to check it out, and as he steps there... He meets the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God says to him, Moses, 
I want you to go and free the Israelites from their oppressors. <laughs> That's what he wanted to do. He couldn't do it. God, what are you talking about? And Moses comes up with all sorts of excuses. Now, I would like to say this. I've read Moses' excuses here as he stutters them out. And here's the deal. I think they're actually really legit. I mean, we come up with excuses sometimes, and they're pretty lame. You know, we come up with excuses to get out of things or to, you know, not do things or, or to be able to kind of whatever. But you know what? Moses actually has some fantastic excuses that he gives. They're really legit. And so this is what it says in Exodus chapter 4. Moses says, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Like, I think that's pretty legit. You think? Yeah, all right. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail and when he did that, it became a staff in his hand again. And God said that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What is in your hand? See, this image challenges us to stop giving excuses and you might look at your life experiences and you say, how could God possibly ever use what I've got? We have a God who doesn't waste anything in our lives. And he is able to redeem. Amen? He is able to redeem. And so I want you to be challenged today that you would not give excuses, but that you would hear God's question to you, what is that in your hands. Now, Bible says that we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the utmost ends of the earth, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Pastor John was so confident, and then, and then his wife poked him. Let me say it again. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the utmost ends of the earth. Is that what he says? No. no. It is and. You see, we don't actually get an option here. It's not like, well, I'm going to pick Jerusalem, so somebody else is going to have to take care of the rest. But actually, as a church, and it's so great to be here, and to hear even Pastor Jasmine, as you were talking, you know, that you are involved locally, nationally, and internationally. That you care about what's going on here, and in the community, around Canada, and around the world. And so, you as a church have not said, we are just going to pick one or the other. You see, we have to stop giving ourselves excuses and say somebody else is going to take care of that. Every single one of us has a responsibility for Jerusalem, for Judea, Samaria, and the utmost ends of the earth. Now, as we are um, 
looking for people to go into the places, and you can go to the next slide. Thanks, Wyatt. Um, we're, we're actually not just looking for pastors to go, and so I'm not here today to, uh, to recruit your pastors, but pastors, I might be here to recruit some of your people. You see, what is in your hand? It's actually, in many of the places where we need to be going, it requires teachers or business people, doctors, skilled professionals, or humanitarian workers to be able to go into these contexts because going in with a Bachelor of Theology actually closes the door because many of them are restricted contexts. And so we need somebody to be able to go in who's able to bring a value to that society and to that economy or culture and then in the midst of that to be able to bear light and to be able to be salt and to be able to see the kingdom advance. And so we have teachers who have the opportunity to share the love of God, and they're addressing injustices in the way that other teachers are treating children in that school. We have a business person who creates a business that employs women who have been redeemed from sexual exploitation and provides skills and employment as they live their new lives in following Jesus. We have a doctor who actually works here in Canada part of the year and then gets access to be able to go overseas into a context where missionaries might not be welcome, but a doctor who can bring physical and spiritual healing is welcome to go. So if you might say, well, God's not going to use me. God says, what's that in your hand? Some of you might be shifting in your chairs, feeling a little bit nervous. That's okay. It's not me. If God's going to stir you and prompt you, then you're going to have to wrestle this through with him. It was tough on Moses, and he gave some pretty legit excuses at the beginning. But in the end, God was able to do incredible things through him. I'd like to share with you one uh, website. Actually, I'll share two tonight, but this is the first one. Businessesmission.ca. It's actually a network of business owners or entrepreneurs or skilled professionals or people within the Canadian context and to be able to create a network to say, you know what? Being a Christian isn't just for Sundays. It's also about what we're doing Monday to Friday. And so to challenge and encourage you to be able to do that. So let me tell you about seven individuals who recently had a similar conversation like Moses had with God. And, and God said, I want you to go and to do something. And now they are either on their way or have recently arrived in a new place where they're eating new foods, probably speaking a new language, and they are living an adventure with and for God. A global worker will call Diane. She was actually a successful businesswoman. And in the years that she was looking that she could potentially retire early, she said yes to the adventure of selling her business, leaving everything in Canada, and moving to Asia to minister in a very beautiful, exotic, but incredibly unreached and challenging part of the world. I'm going to tell you about Innocent and Immaculate, who left Africa and sacrificed so much in the journey to be able to come to Canada. God established they now have five young adult children. Numbers of them are married. And they recently have said yes to the call to go back, not to their childhood home in Africa, but to Muslim Africa, to a challenging and difficult place. And while their five kids are cheering them on, there's many who are looking at them and saying, why are you doing this? You've left all of that. Now you have all this. You're going to give it all up and go back to a place like that again. And they're being challenged by people around them, but they've wrestled it through with God. 
As a young couple, Tyler and Alexis, they had good careers. She's a teacher, and they actually were very involved in their just, and they'd be like the people who are, who are here all the time, Pastor John, and just involved in, in whatever's going on here, and they found ways to be able to get into their community. And, and God said to them, what is in your hand? And now they find themselves living in Malawi and ministering to vulnerable in that place and in that context, particularly children. There are pastors in Mississauga who were formerly from Latin America, and they thought that they were going to go back there, but they actually ended up taking a course, a Kairos course. And if you ever hear about a Kairos course that's being offered, I want to encourage you, take it. They took it. In the midst of that, realized the whole reality of the unreached. And so now they're living in the Middle East, in a city of millions and are looking to find a way to be able to begin to gather people in their living room to be able to share about Christ. What is in your hand? No more excuses. Hear God's voice. If for you that's currently your Jerusalem or your Judea or your Samaria or the utmost end of the earth, I'm not here to say uniquely one or the other. I'm here to say, listen to God's voice. No more excuses. Let's get involved. God also, uh, you know, this, this question, what's in your hand? Well, there's a, there's a great image of, of David, and uh, he had one of these, right? Now, I don't know about you, but, I mean, with one of these, I would be willing to face a ferocious squirrel, like, like, you see what this is? I mean, he, he actually used it against a bear, a lion, and there he is, and you know the story, so I'm not going to tell it to you today. But there's this giant, and David, this teenage boy, ruddy, handsome, a couple of stones in his pocket, and probably not a $12.99 Canadian Tire Special. His looked more like the picture here, you know. But with that, he went up against a giant. Not because he was an amazing Marks person or marksman, but because of the God that he served. For us, as we look at what it's going to take us there, there's another image rather than categorizing it by the three religions. There's a, actually a picture here that gives you dots and the size determines the, the number of people in each of those groups. But these are the unengaged and unreached people groups of our world. And for us, really, as in terms of what Jesus has commanded us to do, to make disciples of all the nations, this is our giant. This is the challenge that is ahead of us. And here's the second website that I'll mention to you today. It's joshuaproject.net. And uh, if you want to find more about the people groups that are considered unreached in the world, it's a great resource to go to. And you can find it by country. You can find it all sorts of different ways. There's an interactive map. But I would encourage you to begin to go there and to, to take a look at it and begin to pray. Because as we look at it, not just a responsibility for people like me from, you know, missions uh, at international office, but Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. And that wasn't just for an exclusive group. That was for all of us, that we would be looking to see 
the kingdom advance in places where it isn't yet. You see, giants aren't defeated by armies, but by simple, ruddy shepherd teenagers with five simple stones. It's not the big combines reaching the unreached. It's the simple oxen. I'll tell you a couple of stories, and there's probably nothing miraculous in these couple of stories. But Andrew, who lives in Asia, has kids, and he lives in a, in a part of the city where it's, it's a little bit poorer. And so he wanted his kids to be able to have bikes, to be able to go out on the, on the streets and realize, you know what, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, then it's going to create this jealousy and all that. Ah. So what is he going to do? Well, simple. What's in his hand? You know what he did? He went out and bought like five bikes. And he just said to all the neighborhood kids, here's the bikes for the neighborhood. And you're like, I bet you they break all the time. Yeah, he spends a lot of time fixing them. But something simple about what is in your hand, just finding a way to be able to share what you've got with the community. There's global workers in Asia who actually, there was a funeral for a, a young girl because she had a sickness. It was very obvious that she was sick, but... They hadn't actually done much. And, and, and this is not a story of, of miraculous intervention. It is a story of our couple in Asia walking into a funeral where there's literally those who are mourning and all the flowers are there. She's still alive, but they expected her to die that night. And so they've, they've started the whole proceedings. They went and took her by the hand. They had relationship with her. They knew her. And they walked her into the hospital and realized, yes, she has a sickness. She has a tough road ahead of her. But what was in their hand? What could they do? Something really simple. You see, sometimes we think that it's, it's got to be these amazing things that, that we could never really actually see happen in our lives or never really aspire to. Or sometimes we think that missionaries are the, the superheroes. And, and having been one, I, I would tell you, no. Just simple. Mark in North Africa who was a, a local guy who didn't read. He was illiterate, but came to faith and then read the Bible and his whole family ends up coming to faith. It's just, it's just these simple things. You see, the kingdom is about the foolish that confound the wise. It's the, so, it's the small, simple folk with hairy feet. The hobbits. You see, J.R.L. Tolkien captured something there. It was the simple folk who actually determined the future of Middle Earth. And somehow it's not our huge combines, but it's the simplicity of our lives and what's in our hands that we are willing to use it and allow God to do something incredible with it. You see, it's, it's not the size of our giant. It's about the God that we serve. So, it's about putting aside our excuses. It's about saying yes. And as hobbits learned, it's one step in front of the other as you journey and just following. Because we may not know where we're going, but we're know, we know who we are going with. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Oops. The third, what's in your hand, is actually, uh, what, what's this? A what? Coffee. Oh, no. It's a good guess. I knew I could count on you for something, but it's, it's a lunch bag. 
I know you're kind of like, no, 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 lunch bags are like colorful and zippers and no. Like, does anybody remember when these used to be lunch bags? Okay, you're showing your age. Put your hand down. Um, there was a little boy. He had five, um, yeah, two fish, five loaves, right? It was his lunch. And I love this story. Because what happens is Jesus smirks. You know what a smirk is, right? It's like a half smile. It's like, oh, it's like he was doing something tricky. You see, because Jesus knew what he was about to do. And so he leans over to his disciples. And he says, look at all these people coming. See, they're, they're on the hillside. And on the hillside, I, you, I just imagine you can see all these people filtering in and coming in. I mean, there's thousands. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus is smirking. He's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed them all? One of the disciples, you know, gets out his abacus. You know what an abacus is? If you know that, put your hand down. You're showing your age again. Um, an abacus, you know, and so there, there he's trying, and he goes, you know what? Like it would take, it would take 200 days of working just to be able to give a little bit of food to, to all these people, you know, it's one of the mathematicians in the group. Yes. And I, and, and so then along comes the little boy with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus knows what he's about to do. And after everyone has been fed to the, as much as they want, the disciples go and they gather up 12 baskets. You see, have you ever actually looked at a situation and thought, this is impossible? It's okay, you're not showing your age if you put up your hand, yeah? Yeah, but you know what? We serve a God who specializes in the impossible. Amen? We serve a God who can take whatever is in our hand and do the impossible. Now, for us within Mission Global, our strategic focus is the least reached and the socioeconomically vulnerable. That, the least reached for us represents about 3.1 billion people, 40% of the people in our world who live with little or no access to the gospel. That seems like an impossibility. And it's also the most vulnerable. And where those overlap is particularly our sweet spot. But the most vulnerable is about 2 billion a quarter of the people in our world who live on less than $3.20 a day, who have little or no access to the basic necessities of life. Now, is there anybody, well, let me see what's in here. Good news, it's not stinky fish. There are a few chocolates here. I need five people to come up here really quickly, and you will be on, on, uh, on uh, videos, so just be aware. But I need five people if you love chocolate, this is your opportunity. Come on up here really quick. Five people, the first five. One, two, three, go. I knew I could count on you. <laughs> here we go. One, two, three, four, five. Good, awesome. Come on up. Come on up. Just come on right up here. Come on right up. Yeah, that's great. Line up here. Okay, so we've got, um, we've got Smarties and we've got Coffee Crisp and we've got Kit Kat and, uh, and some Arrow. All right, so we're going to start, what's your name? 
Sarah, that's a great name. That's my wife's name. So Sarah, what's your favorite? Uh, Smarties. Smarties. Okay, there you are. Okay, and what's your favorite? My wife's favorite is Coffee Crisp. Coffee Crisp. All right, fantastic. Sarah, you get a Coffee Crisp. And what's your favorite? Arrow. Arrow. Fantastic. Sarah, you get an arrow. And what's your favorite? Um, well, there's pretty much everything. There's Smarties, Kit Kat, uh, Coffee Crisp, or uh, Smarties. Great. Sarah, there you go. There's your Smarties. Yeah. Okay. And Ethan, yeah. Pastor Ethan. Yeah. What's yours? Big time. That one. Yeah. That one right here. Okay. Kit Kat. It is. All right. There you go. And, uh, oh, look, I've got, I've also got another Kit Kat and another. Is anybody getting upset with me? There you are. Not Sarah. You see, here's the issue. We've had 2,000 years to be able to make disciples of all the nations. And while we look and we say there are 3.1 billion people who live in places where they have little or no access to the gospel, we keep going and giving chocolates to the one who already has them. One out of... 25 of our missionaries who are sent now not for the POC we actually ha are doing better than that but generally as the church one out of 25 go to the unreached 24 go and give chocolates where chocolate has already been received and we've got enough thanks enjoy Sarah do you feel a little guilty yeah anybody upset with me like I would be if I was sitting there watching and, and poor Pastor Ethan has to go back empty-handed and I had enough chocolate for everyone. Like, so we've got to change what we're doing so that we actually are able to see everyone filled and then pick up 12 baskets afterwards. So a couple of stories as we close tonight. We need to stop limiting... God by what's normal because he specializes in the impossible. There's a North African country that for decades had about 20 believers. It would go up, but then there would be individuals who were persecuted, would leave or would die. And uh, so it never really grew. But just recently, there was one event where they had 11 baptisms and the number of people in that country doubled. Now there's probably five times the number of believers. You also as a church sponsor... Child Care Plus and, and feeding programs through Erdo. And, and you know what? Such a great story of Patricia who now works at the Erdo office. And, and, and Erdo was surprised when they received her application because she actually was a child who received sponsorship in Zimbabwe years ago when she was a child. Ended up in Montreal studying at a university and now works in Erdo. In Ethiopia... There's constantly uh, opportunities to be able to see the kingdom advance and Ramadan evangelistic efforts. They, last year, there was funding for 3,000 individuals to be sent out to be able to go and share Jesus. 7,000 people went. Yes, funding for 3,000, 7,000 went. They actually give reports of hundreds of thousands of individuals who have come to faith. And there was one leader who actually was persecuting Christians and, he, uh, and it was very difficult. And, and somehow during this past Ramadan efforts, the, the, the Christians found out news that he had 
a sickness in his liver that was actually going to kill him. And the doctors said there was absolutely nothing that could be done. So the Christians decided that they would send a letter. I don't know if you were in that situation, what kind of letter you would send, but the letter they sent was that they would be praying for his healing. Miraculously, guess what God did? Because we serve a God of the impossible. He healed him. And this man said, I have to go and talk to these people because I know why I'm healed because the doctors didn't do anything. And now he actually is a believer. You see, the story of Saul who became Paul is not just something of ancient history. We have a God who's at work today. We also have missionaries in Russia who have been forced to flee because of the, the, the challenge of that region and the, and the war that's going on in Ukraine. And God's opened doors. There's a couple that you support and they had to leave and they've actually found themselves incredibly in a neighboring country and ministering to Ukrainian orphans. And I just think, what an incredible story. I was chatting with them this week, and, and, uh, and he was saying that one of the kids found out that he was Russian and said, next time you come here, you are going to meet my fist. <laughs> However, when he went back, there had been this softening, and God is doing an incredible thing through them as they're living in that neighboring country, ministering to orphans could tell you story after story of the God who does the impossible about North African country where there used to only be one believer in this province. And now it's telling me about the fact that they're doing Bible studies with dozens of imams and half of them actually now are following Jesus and they don't know what to do. An imam is a, is a leader of a mosque. So what do you do when you've got a leader of a mosque who's now following Jesus and, and how do you navigate all of that? But we serve a God of the impossible. So before I pass it to Pastor John as we close, would you just stand for a moment? If you're able, close your eyes for a second. God, you asked Moses, what is in your hand? And there are those today that you are asking that same question of them. God, may they not give excuses. May they not think that they are too, their, their experiences in life are too simple for you to use or that the task is too impossible. But I pray, God, that you would call them to action here in Jerusalem, and perhaps for some, to the utmost ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.